This podcast is a Watermark production. Watermark is a church for people who have given up on church. If you would like to contact us or find more information about Watermark Community Church, please visit our website at watermarkcc.net. Thanks for listening. everyone and welcome back to the Watermark Community Church Podcast. The following message is part four of four in a series titled Desperate Households. The title of this particular message is Desperate to Survive the Kids and was delivered to the Watermark Community on Sunday, May 27th, 2007. About a month ago, I was in a doctor's office uh, waiting for an appointment and it was one of those days where Everything was running behind. It's driving you nuts because you got 10 million places to be, but there's nothing you can do about it. And so I'm like, well, I might as well find something to read while I'm here, okay? And uh, so I start scouring the literature in this doctor's office, and it became apparent to me real quick that this particular medical office was a little behind. They got a little laxed with keeping the current literature up to date. <laughs> there were magazines that were like six months, a year old. They're, they're ratty. People have cut stuff out of them. And to top all that, the, the pickings were slim, okay? I think my choices at the time were like um, National Geographic, Cosmo, and like U.S. News and World Report, things I would probably never read on my own, honestly. But uh, so I, I pick up the National Geographic and the cover story on it's like uh, the evolution of the cheetah, you know, or something like that. I'm like, yeah, you know, no thanks. So I pick up the Cosmo, and like the first title I see on the cover is "Men: Five Ways to Drive Her Crazy." I'm like, well, I already do that, you know. And I don't, I, didn't, I don't mean it in a sexual kind of way. I mean, I just drive my wife crazy. I don't need any help with that at all. So I opted for the U.S. News and World Report. And as I picked it up, the whole issue was dedicated to this corporate scandal that has rocked our country the last couple of years. If you watch the news at all, it seems like every couple months there for a while, the big headline on the paper and CNN and Nancy Grace, thanks friend, you know, it was all this corporate scandal going on. These strong companies that on the outside, they look sleek, they had glowing annual reports, they seemed to be firing on all cylinders, but they were tanking. Because once you looked on the inside, things were not healthy. There was greed and jealousy, deception, dysfunction. And as I began to read about each of these, I really quickly discerned something. That is, in each one of these powerful companies and corporations, there was one common denominator between them. They all shared one common leak that led to their downfall. And that was this. Each of these corporations had a CEO leading that company that should have not been a CEO. In each of these situations, they had the wrong person sitting in the wrong seat, making wrong decisions in a very, very important position. And it led to their downfall. Guys like Enron's Kenneth Lay. Guys like WorldCom's Bernard Ebers. Guys like Adelphia's John Regis. That guy needs some help, man. He looks pretty worn out, doesn't he? You know? In all these situations, though, they had a CEO leading who was not equipped to lead. The wrong guy in the wrong seat making wrong decisions in a very, very important position. And as I sat there reading it, I kind of felt that holier-than-thou vibe going on. I mean, going, can you believe this, man? I mean, people's lives and jobs at stake and the audacity and the lack of integrity. When all of a sudden I began to realize, you know what? I need to shut my pie hole because there's a very similar scandal happening right underneath my nose and maybe yours. For me, it's a scandal that has to do with my family. 
okay? And involved in the scandal are two other CEOs, these guys, all right? Casey and Cameron, my kids. And the scandal's connected to them. Because at times, my, my wife and I are realizing, even at their early age, there's times in our marriage and our family that they're occupying the corner office. They're sitting in the big chair. And when they do, the results are disastrous for us. There's stress, there's confusion. It is dysfunctional. Because there's times when Tara and I have got the wrong guy sitting in the wrong seat making wrong decisions at a very, very important position. And I want to talk about that today because I believe there's maybe a chance that maybe it's happening in your family as well. Before I jump into that, I want to be very clear today and preface this with my wife and I are not experts on parenting whatsoever. So I'm not teaching here as an expert or say, look at us, don't. You won't learn much. You know, you might learn. We don't want to do it that way. And the reason I'm teaching this message honestly is because we need to learn ourselves. My wife and I really struggle with this, and this is something we're having to work on right now in our family. The other thing I want to say is I know there's some of you that go, well, you don't have teenagers yet. You'll understand someday. This is all hoo-ha, you know? Well, let me back to you a little bit just say I, I have for years worked in student ministry I've counseled hundreds of families with parenting issues and so I do bring some experience where I've been able to see some families struggle and I'm going to simply with God's word just try to set that on the table today and you can decide which of it you want to eat and which of it you want to leave in the sink but I really think like my family sometimes our families are not being led by real leaders most families do not currently have the right CEO sitting in the corner office. And it's easy to take place. It happens like this. You get married, you crank out a couple kids, the OBGYN slaps them on the bing bong and goes, hey, it's a boy, it's a girl. They get ET all cleaned up, and that little mini-me looks around the room and goes, hello, good to be here. I'm taking over. Hi, Mom, Dad. If you could get your stuff out of the office, I'm moving in. I'm calling the shots, it's good to see you. It's gonna be a great ride, and uh, I'm the executive staff, you're the support staff. I'm looking forward to a great run together. The weird thing is, is that most of the time, surprisingly and unbelievably, as parents, we go, okay, <laughs> okay, let me move my stuff, you know? And I'm telling you, once our kids, once their behind sits in that leather chair for the first time, and they feel the feel of that, and they're sitting in that corner office, once they start experiencing all the perks and the view, good luck getting control back. I'm serious, good luck getting the control back. And it's weird how this thing has evolved in the last 30 or 40 years. In the last 30 or 40 years, you've had guys like Dr. Bishop and Dr. Spock feeding this thing called permissive parenting. And everybody's bought into it, books and tapes and videos. This thing called permissive parenting. Permissive parenting says this, it says, you need to crawl in the crib and reason with him or her. The family's a democracy. We're all equal. Everybody has a voice, okay? Everybody has, has a say. Everything's okay, and you need to give your kids attention 24-7. It's all about the kids. Two big problems with that. First thing is, it's a joke. <laughs> but secondly, it's not biblical. That parenting is not biblical, and it will run your family business in the ground because kids are not made to run the show. They're just not. I know some of you have got 15, 16 year olds and you go, oh, but you don't know my kid. I mean, they are so grounded. They're so mature. They're a kid. I don't care how solid they are, how mature they are. God has not equipped them with the wiring to be able to run your family. 
They don't have the brain power, the development, the experience, the responsibility to be able to sit in that corner office. And yet amazingly as parents, we sit back and go, okay, here, I'll move out. It's your chair. How can I serve you? Do you need more Twizzlers? You need more candy? Why are you mad at mommy? Are you mad at daddy? Why are you mad? Are you mad at me? Well, well what do you want to do? Where do you want to eat? Well, where do you want to go? Is that not where you want to go on vacation? We'll go somewhere else. And it's all about the kids. And you've got kid CEOs running the show. And it's the same scandal. Wrong person sitting in the wrong seat, making wrong decisions in a very, very important position. And the big question comes, how does it come to this? What are we doing that fosters this? And to teach this this morning, I'm gonna rely on what I believe is one of the greatest inventions of the 20th century. Alphabet soup, <laughs> all right? When I was a kid, I pounded this stuff down, you know? And, and I know it's got enough sodium in it to feel like the Atlantic Ocean. But as a kid, I, I just love this stuff. And I love getting my spoon and that, putting my finger in that piping hot suit and kind of filling around with the noodles a little bit and spelling words. My brother and I tried to spell stuff that was kind of naughty off color where mom and dad weren't looking at her and they'd turn and be like, you know, and you'd eat it really quick, you know? But as parents, we're playing with the noodles and we're spelling out some unhealthy parenting. We're sticking our finger in this parent bowl and doodling around and we're creating different types of parenting that don't work. Some of us are sticking our finger in there, and we're spelling out EMT. Some of us are EMT parents. We come to the rescue and we save our kids from ever experiencing any consequences whatsoever. It's never their fault. It's always the teacher's fault. It's always the coach's fault. <laughs> it's always the youth minister's fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's not his fault, not my baby. Uh-uh, no it's not. And we come in, dun 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 dun, we save the day. And we're not giving our kids the gift of learning this truth that when there's bad decisions, there's consequences. We never let them experience that. Maybe you've got a kid that's in middle school or high school and you say, hey, here's your lunch money for the month. I'm gonna give you the responsibility of making this last for the month. Two weeks in the month, your kid calls and goes, mom, dad, can you run me some money? School, I ain't got any money for lunch. And like, well, where'd it all go? I bought some CDs with it. Most of us go, put on the cape and we take off. I'll be right there, honey. When it's a great opportunity to go, well, I guess there's a couple options. You don't eat, we'll have dinner at five, or put some ketchup on that CD, you know, and see how it's working for you, you know? <laughs> Try it, it's fiber, you know? But we don't do that. Or you've got your kid who's six in the morning comes in and goes, Dad, 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 the science fair is today. And you're thinking, crap, you know? And, and uh, what a great opportunity to say, you have to tell your teacher you're not prepared. Instead, we go through the garage trying to put something together last minute. Instead of teaching our kids the truth that when you're not prepared, you're not successful. We come in, we sweep in, and we save the day, and we rescue them from ever experiencing any consequences. And therefore, we create kids that don't understand how to take any responsibility for themselves or their actions. Some of us got our big finger in the parent bowl, and we're spelling out NCAA. Some of us are the NCAA parent, okay? Anybody recognize this guy here on the screen? Who is that? Bobby Knight, Okay. Right now, he coaches the Texas Tech Raiders. If you know anything about Bobby Knight, you know Bobby has got one tone, one temperament, one approach all the time. <laughs> it's in your face, scream, yell, slap, throw chairs, drill sergeant, drop down and give me 40, and it's that 24-7. There's never any balance of any listening, of any tenderness, or of a different approach. 
Some of us, that's our parenting style. We're drill sergeant, rigid 24-7, in-your-face screamer. Some of us got a finger in the bowl and we're spelling out YMCA. We're YMCA parents, okay? Now, the YMCA is a great organization and they're credited with, with coming up with what's been known as the buddy system, okay? Yeah, the lifeguard blows the whistle and the kid in the front, they put their hands up, buddy, buddy, to show that they're right there, they're, they're hanging with their pal, their pal, their best friend, their amigo, but it was never the YMCA's intentions for us to apply that to our parent-child relations. And some of us are trying to do the buddy system with our kids. I wanna be your friend. I wanna hang out with the gang. I want camaraderie. And there's nothing wrong with that to a certain extent, but it's really hard to be your kid's friend when at times when you have to be their leader, okay? One of the most valuable things I learned when I was doing my graduate degree at Xavier at the time to be an elementary principal was this. A former principal said, guys, someday when you're leading a school, do not let your teachers and that staff be your heartbeat of emotional support and the core of your friendships. They can't be. Because there's gonna come times when you've gotta evaluate them. There's times when you have to fire some of them. There's times when you have to say things they don't wanna hear that aren't popular. And it's the same thing with our kids. If we're trying to be best friends with them, what happens when you gotta say some of them that they don't wanna hear? When you gotta say and speak some truth that brings tears to their eyes and makes them leave and slam the door because it's not convenient and it's hurtful and they don't understand. When you gotta make hard decisions that seems like it's just gonna wreck their life because you don't understand. Remember, the goal of parenting is not to be our kid's friend, okay? It's not, it's to help them get out of our house. The goal is for them to leave successfully. It really is, biblically. We'll look at that in a minute. Your goal as a parent is to do one thing, help them leave with great success. If any of you ever met my dad, you'll th you think I'm adopted, okay? We are as different as night and day, we really are. But I'll never forget something my dad said to me in high school one time. He said, we're not friends. <laughs> when you get out of college and you're married on your own, that's the day we become friends. Until then, we're not friends. I'm your dad, you know? At the time, I thought, screw you. I mean, it really made me mad, I, I don't like that. Now I, now I see what he meant, it was, it was good parenting. Some of you go, well, I don't know, look at you, but it really, it really was, it really was. Someone's got our finger in there, stirring it around, and uh, we're, we're what I call PhD parents, the PhD parent. We, we psychoanalyze our kids. We overthink and analyze their every move, their every step, and Dr. Phil and Oprah are reading books, and what happens is we assume that permissive parenting role I talked about a moment ago, where all of a sudden our child, their voice is equal to ours. Their level of authority, it's equal to ours. And so we spend hours with them trying to reason, trying to debate, trying to argue. I catch myself doing it with my four-year-old. All of a sudden I'll be like, why am I arguing with you? You're four, you know, I'm 35. I mean, stop this, this is stupid, you know? I'm in charge. And that's what happens when we assume that role. The, the bottom line thing is none of us in this room will disagree that none of these styles of, of parenting work. They, they don't. They're not effective, and most of all, they're not biblical. God comes along in scripture and says, be a parent CEO. Take this leadership role I've entrusted to you that I've actually called for you to fulfill and pursue and run with it. Run with it like never before because the culture's way, it ain't working. And God's like, no offense your way, it sucks. You know, it ain't working. God probably wouldn't say sucks, but it ain't working either, you know? take this and run with it because I've given you a clear plan on how to do it. And God has. He's given us an organizational chart for the family. If, if you begin to read the Bible, you'll learn real quick that God is a, he's a God of order. He's, he's not a God of chaos. He's a God of organization. 
whether you're looking at his creation, whether you're reading about his chain of command, there's always a flow. There's always a clear plan and clear organization. And it's no different when it comes to the family. God has given us an organizational chart for the family. I want us to look at this, and please get this today, okay? This is God's chain of command for the family that was his design that we've kind of gotten away from. In first place, who knew? It's God. (laughs) It's his plan to be the ultimate CEO of our family. He is over us. He is guiding and shaping our decisions and our steps. Everything we do, it falls under his umbrella. He's the big dog, okay? It's affirmed in Ephesians 5.1, look what it says. It says, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. The Bible's being very clear. It's saying God is God, and you're not. <laughs> okay, you're one of his kids. He's in control, he's ultimately running the show, okay? God is the gold medalist here, all right? Coming in a close second, okay, and taking the silver is your marriage, the spouse. Some of us are going, are you serious? Yeah, and a close second to God is your marriage and your spouse. Look what Ephesians 5.25 says. It says, husbands, that's you and me, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so in God's org chart, we're seeing God, then we see marriage, your spouse, a second, and guess what comes in in a distant third according to God? Your kids. <laughs> Some are going, you gotta be kidding me. No, I'm not. God's design, your kids are third place. They go home with the bronze. Okay? Please don't miss that this morning. Look at Ephesians 6, 1. It says, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Some of you are going, that can't be. It, it says, for this is right. <laughs> you know, for this is right. It's right. And some of us, including your lead schmo here, we've gotten it all backwards. Tara and I, every day, got to go, uh-oh. Right now, it's going, uh, Casey, God, marriage. You know, and it's backwards. And the results are disastrous. It's like if you're trying to dance, you know, and you do the steps all out of order. You're bumbling around. You're stepping on things. It's awkward. It don't work. I'm not itching. I'm just trying to dance sitting down, okay? I bathed this morning. I promise. Man, that guy needs some powder or something. No, I'm just trying to, without having to get out of my chair because I'm lazy, it's a mess, okay, is is what I'm trying to say. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is God's org chart for our family. And often in our family, we're getting this backwards, and we got kid CEOs leading the family. And so what I want to say to you is this. I know that some of you hear that right now, and you go, that's great and everything. Yeah, maybe you're right. The kids are running the show. They've been running a long time. We're not going to do the hard work at this point. We're just trying to survive them and get them out of here. That's lazy. That's a cop-out. It really is. And it's not what God's called you to do. And so I want to, this morning, just lay out a challenge. It's your choice whether you're up to it or not. But some things we can do if you got the wrong person sitting in the the corner office right now. If your kid currently is the CEO of your family corporation, I want to give you some things to think about. The first thing is this, very plain and simple. Demote them. Today. Like, immediately. Like, this afternoon. (laughs) You know? Seriously, demote them. Do a hostile takeover. I didn't say fire them. I didn't say throw them out of the house. You know, don't talk to them for two weeks. Sit them down and explain to them biblically that God has called you to be the head of your family, not them. And expect conflict when you do that, okay? I want you to look at a lady named Lynette from Desperate Housewives who's trying to do this. It's messy, but let's check back in with her and her kids in the van, and let's at least look at her attempt to try to do this.
<laughs> now, maybe a little messy, okay? Maybe not the outcome that she had planned for, but she's trying. She came to a point where she's like, they're getting demoted. This is crazy. I'm going to demote them. And I'm telling you, when you do this, expect conflict. Don't be surprised by it. Expect a revolt. Expect some pushback because their little hind end has got their own imprint by now in that leather chair. Some of them have been sitting in that corner office for some time, and they're not going to give it up without a fight. They're not going to. They like the warmth of the spotlight. They like running the show. But as a parent, God has said, you lead. It's your job. I've designed you to do this. And some of you are like, that's awful. It's kind of harsh. I mean, that's really harsh. Those are my babies. No, it's good for your kids. It is. Remember, you are designed, you are wired to call the shots, not them. And I know as a parent, these things run through our mind like, yeah, but they need my attention 24-7. Here's what I want to ask this morning. Is it possible that our kids can get too much attention? Really? I mean, think about it like this. My kids, my kids, my boys need water to live, okay? Too much water, they will drown. They will. My, my kids need oxygen to breathe. Too much of them, will, it will smother them, okay? And my boys love and want attention 24-7. But Tara and I are learning too much of it 
is beginning to crank out spoiled, sassy, smart aleck, selfish, defiant at times kids because 24-7 they've been living in the starring role and they're high maintenance. And so we need to demote them. We do. There's a great book by Jim Collins called Good to Great. I encourage you to read it. It's actually a book written about business. You'll find it in the business section at Barnes and Noble, Borders, wherever you are. But the, the, the principles of that book will transfer to all areas of your life. And it basically in the book, he profiles these companies that went from good to great. And he has a very insightful thought in the book I want you to hear. Here's what he says. Collins says this. He says, great companies get the right people on the bus. And not only do they get the right people on the bus, but they get the right people in the right seats on the bus. It's insightful. See, the problem with the family is we got the right people on the bus, but we got the wrong people in the wrong seats. An eight-year-old's up there. Mom there in the back going, everybody okay? Hand check, you know? You need to be driving and not apologizing for it. Switch seats. And when you do, I'm telling you, there's gonna be pushback. But I encourage you, take them to the mat. I don't mean physically. Go to the mat on this. Do the consistency. Do the hard work to follow through and begin to live this out. And you'll see blessings over time. You'll see change. When you're doing the one, two, two and a half, don't let me get the three. One, two, you know, for God's sake, get the three. You know, let there be consequences. Begin to do this and follow through on this thing. Okay, demote your kids, not because you don't love them. We do this because we love our kids so much. Demote them today, okay? Number two, set their, set their agenda, okay? Remember, you're the leader. They're not the leader, okay? You set the schedule, not your kids. Most of us as parents, we don't put our kids on our schedule. We wear ourselves out putting ourselves on their schedule, okay? As the parent... You set the schedule, and you get your kids on your schedule. That's what leaders do. Leaders of corporations and businesses and organizations, they go, here's what we're doing. Here's where we're going. Get on the bus, okay? They don't sit down and go, let's get 400 people to all agree on this. You'll never do anything. No, they set the course. There's a place where the buck stops, and they go, here's where we're going. Get on and ride. As parents, we don't have to sit down and go, what's everybody think? Are you okay with this, Johnny? Are you seem mad. Is it bothering you? No, you set the schedule, okay? And to kids in this room, if you're a teenager, I know right now you hate me. I know you do. It's fine. You can slash my tire. I don't care, okay? But I want to challenge you as a teenager if you're in this room, okay? God has put your parent in authority over you. That's his call, not your mom and dad's, okay? And whether they're right or wrong at times, whether they get it right or not, God has placed them in a chain of command over you. And when you buck that, and when you get back in their face, when you're disobedient, you're not only being disobedient to your mom and dad, the bigger thing is you're being disobedient to God and his plan and his design. Parents, we've got to set the agenda. As I said before, God is a God of structure, and our kids need structure. For me, the season of life we're in with a two- and a four-year-old, when I think about structure, I think about something like bedtime. Bedtime is a... Good night, it's craziness around our house. That's a huge thing when you got little kids. And we're learning our kids need structure. They need a set nighty-night time, even if it involves NyQuil on the pacifier. There needs to be a set nighty-night time when they get put down, okay? And here's the thing we're learning. You don't put your kids down when they're ready. You, don't, you put them down when you're ready, okay? Kids don't know when they're ready, okay? Because you put your kids down not only for their benefit, you put them down at night also for your benefit, 
okay? First of all, it's for their benefit. Study after study shows us that kids are walking around today in this comatose state. Some kids, they need 11, 12 hours of sleep at night. They're going to bed at 11, get up at 6. We're running them all over God's creation throughout the day, and they're walking around like zombies. It affects their learning, their brain development, their relational abilities, they're irritable because they're just tired. They're slap worn out, and they need rest. On the other hand, you put them down for your benefit. You and your spouse need time to connect. Tara and I were getting this pattern where we, you know, it went later and later, and we wouldn't sit down for the first time like 9.30 at night. By then we're like, eh, you know, watch an idol or whatever, just three sheets to the wind, see you in the morning, you know? I encourage you, figure out what type of time you and your spouse need to connect at night, and then let that drive your bedtime for your kids. Now, let me deal with the white elephant here. There's those of you going, yeah, that's great, Chad. That really works with a 16-year-old. Go to bed at 745. They ain't going to work. Okay, I know. But here's something you could do. What if you go to your teenager and say, hey, 930, you need to be in your room, dude. I don't, you don't have to go to bed, but you need to go there and start chilling out. You can listen to your iPod. You can get online. You can call your friend on the phone. I don't care. Don't come downstairs. <laughs> You're in your room for the night. Your mom and I are connecting, and, and that's, your, that's your time to be up there and get, start getting quiet. Okay. You can do that. You have the right to do that. What I'm saying is we've got to set the agenda with things like curfew and discipline and expectations, which all could be sermons in and of themselves today. I don't have time to go there. But what I'm trying to say is kids are screaming at us for guidelines and guardrails. They want both. They want guidelines. They want guardrails. They want to know, Dad, where's the line? They want boundaries. They want to know. And you have the right to do it because you're their landlord, you know? They live with you rent-free. You can evict them if you want. In the words of Bill Cosby, I brought you into this world, I can take you out, you know? He's given you that authority. And they're gonna buck it. They will, they're gonna constantly see if you'll move that line. Great story, great lesson here I heard a while back. There was, <laughs> this mom had a 16-year-old son in her face in the kitchen one night. Can I go to this movie? She's like, it's R-rated. I've told you no R-rated movies. Mom, please, there's just a little bit of violence and nudity. No, you're not going. Just wouldn't stop. And finally she goes, all right, you can go. Just tired of fighting with you. She goes, however, before you leave, you're gonna help me finish making these brownies. He's like, okay, you know. So they're sitting there talking. He's like, well, can I lick the bowl? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. So she's mixing up stuff, and she says, hey, I need you to do me a favor. Go out in the yard and get me a big dog turd out of the yard, bring it in on a spoon. Okay, give me a big piece of poo from the yard, okay? So he goes out and he brings in this piece of dog poo on a spoon. He's holding it out here and he's like, oh, this is sick. She's like, that's way too big. She takes a steak knife, cuts off just a little part of it, puts it in the bowl, starts mixing around, getting all the chunks down in there. And she goes, hey, you wanna lick the bowl? He's like, there's poo in there. She goes, it's just a little bit, okay, all right? She wasn't gonna let him move the lines. We let our kids move on. Well, they were frustrated. They didn't like it. They got mad. She cried. No, you set the agenda for your kids. Thirdly, limit company perks. And this is where the room's gonna get really quiet. I know it. This will not be a popular point here. I'm used to it. Okay, limit company perks. I guarantee when your kids came into the world, ever since that day, you've been saying the same thing my wife and I have been saying over and over again. I just want the best for my kids. I just want the best for my family. And you should say that. That's a noble thing as a parent. That means you're a healthy parent to have that desire for your kids and for your family. My question is though, what is the best? What, what really is that? And for those of us in the room who are true Christ followers, I hope the answer would be this. 
That would be the best is to give our child every opportunity to receive Christ in their life. To give them every opportunity to see Jesus fully formed in them as they grow and develop so that they'll live and they'll grow into adulthood following God, serving him, him driving every facet of their life. To get to a place of integrity where you go, you know what, I'm not all wigged out about my kid's ACT score. They only got a 27, take it again. I'm not freaked out about their college choice and their career. You know what I want? I wanna be able to say that whatever they do, they do it for God. I don't really care what it is. Do they do it for God? And is their life this attractive thing that just draws people to God through their love and the way they mirror Christ? That's really all I want for them, to get to a place to be able to say that. Many of us go, preach it, brother, amen, yes. And we believe that stuff in theory, but we don't believe it in practice. We don't, we don't. And it's because we got these things hanging over us called ECAs extracurricular activities, they're everywhere. Cheerleading, dance, softball, baseball, soccer, ponyback riding, uh, karate, kung fu, whatever. I mean, just the list goes on and on and on. And I'll be the first to say, I love extracurricular activities, they're important. I love sports and band and all that stuff. The challenge becomes this. The challenge begins when the good begins to overshadow the great. When the good begins to trump what's great. When the good becomes the enemy of what's best. That's when it becomes really dangerous. And it begins to encroach on our spiritual development of our families and of our kids. Where all of a sudden we're going, we won't see it all the month of July, so-and-so's got baseball. What? Yeah, what? We'd love to get in a small group, but Johnny's got karate three times this week and then piano right afterwards. We'd love to do Isaiah House and Fairhaven, those serving things, but we just got tournaments coming out the yin-yang. I mean, ah. The good becomes the enemy of the best. And my only challenge to you as parents is to ask yourself this. Why is my kid in so much stuff? Why are they in so many activities and is it too much? Our first response will be, well, because they like it. My pushback is, really? Really? Or is there just a hint of possibility that they're playing and performing for you? Because you're worried about what other parents think. They're gonna think, my kid's not well-rounded. They're not athletic. They didn't, uh, really? Are, is there just a hint that you could be vicariously living through your kid through some of that? Really? I, I encourage you to challenge yourself with that and to consider a new normal. And if you reach for this, you will be driving counterculturally against the way our world lives because our world says get your kids in 97 things, they've gotta get this kind of diploma, they gotta to go to this kind of school, they better play these sports year round. If your kid's gonna be this and a renaissance guy or girl, you know, and to live against it, I know it's countercultural, it's not popular. But what if you said, hey, one sport, one non-sport, that's it. Your mom, we're just not gonna run ourselves ragged, sending you guys in eight different directions seven days a week, not doing it anymore. Not gonna be a taxi service. We're gonna actually be home some. What? <laughs> Who does anymore? Does anybody ever during the week actually just sit home and have dinner at home and not at Rafferty's or at a restaurant? Play cards, no agenda. You know, I encourage you to do that build into the family relationally. Do something stupid, chase your kids through the house with flashlights or run through the sprinkler in your underwear, whatever, maybe not that, but whatever you can do. <laughs> but don't get your, unless you live out on a farm or something, then go for it, you know? But, but are you doing that stuff that's relational and create a new normal? I'm gonna say this on a side note and then I'll get off of this, okay? I wanna say this, and for those of you that are parents that have kids in middle school and high school, please tune in here for a minute. 
here in this church, we have a, a vibrant ministry called Rush Hour, okay? It's for students 6th through 12th grade, and it is awesome. And we've got a point person and a group of committed coaches that bust, hump, and spend hours a week to prepare an experience on Sunday night for your kids to come to and to grow spiritually, to study the Bible in a relevant setting with kids their own age, to do life biblically with other kids, to grow and to connect, and it's wonderful. They, they plan these connect events on a month for your kid as a tool to bring their unchurched friends to. It's wonderful. And I gotta tell you with all honesty, it, it baffles me, it boggles my little mind that there's so many families here that make no attempt to get your kids to that. I, I don't say that in haste. I'm just saying I don't understand it. I don't. When my kids are that age, if there's a group of people that say, I wanna come and just build into Casey for a couple hours and be an ear for him and love him with God's love, there's somebody who's gonna teach them the Bible on their level. They're gonna get in a community. It's different than this, what we have right now. It's just for them with kids their age. I'd drive two hours for that for my kid. I would. And for some of us that don't make a commitment to get our kids connected to that, I'm just shooting straight with you. I don't get it. I really don't. And I've heard all the excuses. It all comes back to parenting. I've heard the excuse, well, they went once, they don't like it. Does your kid like school? <laughs> no. You make them go. So I, I know the thing, well, it's just a lot to get back out and drive them somewhere on Sunday night. If yesterday your kid had a tournament in Lexington at four in the morning, you'd get them there. You would. Some parents kind of insinuate, they don't say in these words, but well, my kid's kind of cool. And that group's kind of not. First of all, none of your kids are cool. Mine aren't either. Let's just get that out in the open. Kids aren't cool. They're not. Your kid's not cool. If you, you want to think they're cool, they're not. Kids aren't cool, Okay. If they're, if they're that cool, they need to be there because maybe other cool kids will come, okay? I've heard the excuse of, they don't know anybody. Well, you get to know people by coming on a regular basis, you know? I've heard parents say, they're kind of uncomfortable. Come with them. Be a youth coach. Get involved and be there, and they'll, they'll have a blast. I've heard the parents who say, my, my kid gets a lot of Bible during the week. They're very spiritual. More reason for them to come. They're a leader then. They need to come and teach and bring other kids to their level. I challenge you as parents with what I'm saying here. Don't leave here ticked at me because what I'm saying is not the issue. The issue is your kid's spiritual development. And think long and hard about taking advantage of that. I'll be honest with you, it's frustrating for me as a leader here that we got volunteers that pour themselves into something and three kids show up. Not for a program's sake, not for legalistic purposes because it's something that can build into your kids spiritually. Because see, your kid, whether you want to believe it or not, they're thinking about sex all the time. There's oral sex on a bus next to them taking place. There's drugs around them. They're every day weaving through decisions you have no idea that they're dealing with, really. And my, my, my pushback is when they get to that, what are they going to rely on? Cheerleading? What do I do? One, two, three, yeah! You know, football, uh, hut, hut on ones, yeah. No, all good things, but they're not going to get your kid to where they need to be. The only thing that will prepare them for the right future is a foundation with Jesus Christ. And all I'm saying is you got a group of people here that want to be this great vitamin for your child. And I encourage you, take advantage of it. I'll shut my mouth now and move on. Lastly, we got to nurture client relations. We got to nurture client relations. Some of you are in a business where you have clients that you have to wine and dine and spend money on and take care of. And we've got to do that same thing with our spouse. We got to nurture client relations with our spouse. You need to date your mate. You do. And make it a goal once a week. 
Some of you are going, yeah, all right, whatever. No, I'm serious. My wife and I are trying to do more and more of this. Make that a go. It can't always happen, but if you can do that once a week, do it. Some of you guys are, ah. It makes great sense for a host of reasons. It makes great economic sense, first of all. You say, that's a lot of money to go out on a big date once a week. It's a lot cheaper than what attorneys cost, <laughs> you know, and child support. Really, it is. It's, it's cheaper. It makes great spiritual sense because when you enter into a marriage, you're, you're entering what the Bible calls a covenant. And a covenant, biblically, is like commitment on steroids. You know, it really is. And it's an awesome opportunity to model to a lost world that changes spouses like underwear to say, you know, this can actually work. When God's involved, he's driving this thing. It can last and it can thrive. It makes great relational sense. What a great thing to model to your kids that mom and dad love each other so much they want to go out on a date even after 10 or 12 years of marriage. It's great. Think about what that does for your kids to see that. And I know I have young kids, I hear all the things, well, my kids, we try to do that. I mean, we get a sitter, they just cry when we leave. Okay. My wife and I went out Friday night. Cameron, our youngest, his lip was like out to here. Okay, it really was, you know. But we've learned in about three minutes before even down the street, he's fine. He's fine. Okay, and when you'll do that stuff, it teaches your kids some great things. It teaches them independence. It teaches them responsibility. It teaches them that mom and dad's marriage is the most important thing. It teaches them security, that mom and dad will come back. They're gonna come back. It teaches them some great things. I, I always get tickled when I hear some of our nursery workers talk about different things here, and I see some of them in the hallway, and I'm there too. When I dropped Cameron off this morning, he wailed. He didn't want me to leave, and I just took off, because I know he's gonna be fine. But you got some parents, they drop him off, and the kid starts crying, they come back, oh, you know, and then you walk away, and you come back in, and you make a big mistake. You peek back in the room to see if they're all right, and they melt, and you're like, he's crying again. And the nursery worker's saying, get out of here, you know? No offense, don't come back. He's fine until he sees you. Go, go enjoy the service. But we come back, and we're like, what's wrong? I got gummy bears. You want animal crackers? Come here. And we're out in the hallway, and we're, we're coloring pictures, cheers, missing the whole service. And we do that hundreds of times. What we're saying to our kid is, I'm your gopher. What do you need? I'm here to serve you. How can I wait on you? and we let them run the show. Bottom line, what I'm trying to say, guys, is this, and I feel the intensity in the room right now, and I'm glad it's there, it should be, because there's an urgency about this. My challenge is for me and for you, because we're doing this right now in our family, take a hard look at your family org chart, because Tara and I have, and biblically, it's not aligned with the Bible right now. My wife and I last six months, Casey, our oldest one's been in the CEO chair, he has. And we're wondering why we're so stressed and, and things aren't going the way we think it should be. We got the wrong guy in the wrong chair. And I just challenge you today to say, God, with your grace and by your power, help me to go on today and switch seats. Help me to reach for your model that the Bible says is what will cause this thing to be successful. Look at this great verse with me from Proverbs 22.6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's what this is all about. The future begins now. So we don't get to 17, 18, 21 and go, what happened? It starts right now, right now. I had a great tender moment with Casey, my son, a few weeks ago. We were laying in bed together talking. I just out of the blue said, hey dude, I said, what do you think you wanna be when you grow up? And he goes, I wanna do what you do. And I was like, cool, you want to be a pastor? He goes, no, I want to be a daddy. 
I want to be a daddy. And I said, well, why do you want to be a daddy? He said, well, because daddies love mommies, daddies love Jesus, and daddies love me and Cameron. And I sat there after collecting myself, and I thought, man, he is on the right track. Way to go, dude. At the age of four, or him, four and a half, okay? You got it right. You got it right. And he's right. It's the most important thing. The most important thing I do is not what I'm doing right now on this stage. It's not. It never will be. The most important thing I do is not leading this church. If that bothers you, fire me. I, it just, it'll, this is never the most important thing to me. I have two ministries I oversee. One is here, and one is on Ridgecrest Drive in Florence, and that one wins every time. If something gets cheated, it's this place. Because it doesn't matter if I build this great church and I fail at my family. It really doesn't, and I just don't care. The most important thing I'm gonna do is introduce Casey and Cameron to the one who gave his life for them and to get them in opportunities and situations where Jesus can just be fully formed in their life so that someday I'm gonna shoot them out of my house and they're gonna go be difference makers in this world and I'm gonna go right on, get out of here. Go to Hong Kong if you want to, right on. Go change your world. Parents, what I'm trying to say is your role is absolutely so critical. It is so important because not only are you training up and raising your kids, you're raising up kids who can change generations to come for the kingdom, and that is big. It really is. Now, I know that this topic for some of you is surrounded with clouds of desperation. I know that. For some of you, when you begin to think about this, you feel overwhelmed, and it's like, ah, you almost don't even wanna think about it. But my prayer for you this morning is that as we worship here in just a moment, that just for a few moments, you're gonna let your desperation come face to face with a God who is never overwhelmed. Look into his face for a few moments. Then in these next few moments, you're gonna bring your fatigue and your weariness and look into the eyes of Jesus, who in Matthew said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest, I will. That over the next few moments, you'll bring your hunger and your thirst for change and for something different that's gotta give and come face to face with Jesus who in scripture said, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Taste and drink of me and you will never hunger or thirst again. That in just a moment, we'll come before God with just a naked kind of desperation and honesty and say, God, breathe something into me right now. Breathe into me the new, new life, a new beginning, a new start, a new normal. We're just gonna take a moment right now and just do that. And I'm gonna do that with you. Let's do that, all right?